Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, Pack Your Knives listeners, this is Tom here. I just wanted to let you know that Pack Your Knives is part of the Count the Dings Network. We've got a whole buffet of great selections for you. You see what I did there? Um, If you are a sucker for terrible movies, go laugh with us on the Cinephobe podcast. If you're deep into the Black Lives Matter movement, I can't recommend highly enough listening to Bomb. That's Black Opinions Matter Mondays, B-O-M-M podcast. I'm on the dad pod, which is on the count the dings feed. Um, And also go check out the Friday mailbag, which is also a count the dings podcast. Lastly, if you want to support the network, we have a Patreon set up at patreon.com slash count the dings. All right. Now with that out of the way, it is time for the pack your knives season finale recap. Tom was top chef season 17 all-stars as starry as you hoped it would be. Oh, yes. And especially with the surprise guest of the carne guy and a teary-eyed carne guy. This was as star-studded as I could have ever dreamed of. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstroh. Tom, season 17 in the books, an epic finale. Lots of crying, lots of laughing, lots of storytelling, lots of food, lots of Italians. 
fantastic. It was upsetting on one level, Kevin. I was totally wrong, totally off on my Zapruder guess. My analysis of those, you are a top chef, Padma announcements was a little off base. I think Eric, your partner, had it right, which is that it was Melissa all along. And Melissa deserved to win this season. She was unflappable. I don't really understand how we got someone with seven wins, including the finale, seven wins in the all-star season, Kevin. Like, when you were going into this, did you expect to see someone just separate themselves so much as as Melissa did? No, I mean, I think the depth of the field and the talent in the field suggested parity. Suggested that, hey, you know, there are nine or ten chefs capable of just blowing an elimination challenge out of the park, or for that matter, a quick fire on any given week, which only lends credence to the idea that we're just going to see it's going to be anybody, anybody's ball game. And when I look at the last four weeks, an absolutely epic run. And later, we'll we'll go do the final report card and box score. It is not a pretty sight from a from an equitability standpoint. Your team versus my team, but when you look at Melissa's season. It is one of the most dominant in the history. I, I believe that someone say on the show that she recorded more wins than any other uh, contestant in the history of Top Chef. Yes, I believe that's what they have. Um, and I think that's true, maybe. But Paul we need Key, to check, check that with We need to check that with, um, with, with Lynn, right? Well, yeah, but I, I just looked up before the show, Kevin, did my own research. Paul Key got nine wins, including the finale in his season. Does that and include quick fire? It doesn't include quick fire. So oh, I wow, guess wow. that might be rolling the folding in the quick fire stuff. Um, but then if you if you consider the phrasing of the most wins in Top Chef history, do you think they might be including just both of those seasons that you like Melissa? And- Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. So Maybe she won two it. episodes in that season, two elimination challenges. She won seven elimination challenges in this year, including the finale, which is nine. So I think probably if you do some quick fire math, maybe that puts Melissa over the top. Um, but certainly, I think we can all agree, Kevin, that Paul Key had the single greatest performance of any individual season up until this point. But when you consider the fact that Melissa did what she did essentially playing in an all-star game where she just dominated with seven wins with the level of competition as high as it was where you had, you know, Brian Voltaggio, Gregory Gordette, Kevin Gillespie, all who probably should have won any average season on their own. She mowed them down four wins in the last four episodes. And you know what? I, um, I going into the last fi- the final judges table, I just I there was no doubt in my mind that this was Melissa's to win. I, I didn't think it was particularly close with Brian and Steph. Maybe they won a couple dishes here and there, but Melissa did not falter on anything. And I just think um I think it's I think it's time to say it, Kevin. The greatest top chef com- contestant of all time, Melissa. I, King. I, I would agree, and that's not recency bias, and you also make a very good point about strength of schedule that she's doing this week in and week out against this kind of competition. But I'm looking forward to kind of walking through sort of the, the four quarters, if you will, uh, because it's, it's always fun to kind of when, – when you get to an elimination and you know essentially it's almost kind of an ice skating gymnastics quality scoring where you just kind of need to look event by event and see what's going on. 
uh, it was a really interesting night because I think it wasn't until kind of late in the third, if you will, yep. that we sort of saw Melissa take over. Uh, I really liked this episode. I thought it was a great illustration of why this show is as successful as it is. I love that there was a really dominant theme, and the theme was expressed in a lot of different ways by three different chefs, and that is that that food is a medium of self-expression. It sounds schmaltzy to say that food is art, but I, I think for folks who, who don't have not everybody, I think, appreciates that food is not just this substance that we live on and you need. And, you know, I think a lot of people, live, you know, eat to live and, and rel- left, far fewer live to eat. Um, and I think if you do live to eat, I think you realize, you know, if you sit at enough tables that food is an expression of identity. Um, it is, it is as they say, it's, it's a way to tell a story. What I love how, about Top Chef is by the time you get to the finale, like, you know each chef's identity. What made the finale cool was watching Voltaggio, for instance, you know, as Gail, I think appropriately said, kind of one of the great technicians the show has ever featured uh, in, the, in the Top Chef contestants, sort of kind of fuse that technical prowess with the heart and soul that he alleged not to have presented in the previous week, right? Like we saw the great culmination of Melissa's Chinese-Italian fusion, which she essentially been, you know, honing for the last four weeks, and even prior to getting to Tuscany, just sort of, how can I introduce, you know, Chinese flavor, Chinese elements, Chinese technique into as many dishes as possible, you know, without it being gimmicky, and that's yeah. always the br- that, that's her brilliance. That? Did you catch that where she kind of said that like fusion is is sort of a derogatory term in in cuisine, and I I, I guess I didn't quite. It didn't I didn't I didn't quite realize that until she said it where like if I go into a restaurant and I see Chinese Italian fusion I'm probably going to be like oh what I don't know well, about no, that. It, it, no, she's right. I mean there and largely she's right because there's a lot of shitty fusion food. I mean I don't I don't I don't need another sushi burrito. I don't need pizza that has like pepper jack cheese and hey it's a taco. No, it's a pizza. Like you know, I mean, there's just a lot of really shitty fusion food. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of it is organic. I mean, I, I think one of the beauties of kind of Peruvian food is just the, the presence of the Japanese community in that part of South America. So I think you get some authentically rendered fusion food. But she's right. There's a lot of shitty fusion food that's been presented in the last 20 years, sort of trying to capitalize, you know, on the ascent of multiculturalism or just, hey, isn't this fun? Um, and by the way, there's some good. I mean, I think I think Koji here in Los Angeles, sort of the, the, the Korean barbecue taco, was a stroke of genius um, and accessible and, and kind of organic in its and its emergence. But uh, she's right. And then then finally, Stephanie, you know, you know, she's never had a distinct style. I, I think that you, we could say her food is homey. And it's it's just damn good. Um, but I think for her, the storytelling was about her emergence. I mean, she's somebody who's suffered great trauma personally. Um, Clearly, food is how she's. You know, everybody has has their way out of that, and and for her, the show and, and cooking in general has been that. So for her, yeah, it wasn't about hey, uh, translating my technicality into into elegance or the culmination of this sort of style I'm fashioning. For her, it was it was a true expression of identity, um, and, and and in some ways reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So I just love that about this episode. I thought you know, <laughs> you know, we were just. We were overcome with emotion watching it. I mean, I, I think you, you get to live with these chefs for 14 weeks, even as a viewer. And I just thought it was a perfect distillation of why people love this show. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think when I, I got myself, I found myself a little overly emotional in the moment when 
I guess this happens every season, but um, when Padma, Tom, and Gail are cooking for them, and I, I don't know. That's like my favorite part of this this, this series is when the three chefs cook for the contestants at the end, they're like last supper before they do their cook. I love that, Kevin. I don't know what it is. I, it's almost like family. It's almost like like what other show does that? It's not like at the end of the NBA season, like Adam Silver like plays one on one with all the guys, right? Like, like, <laughs> like imagine that. Like David Stern, like you made it this far. Let's go play one on one, fellas. And that then you would like that doesn't happen. But on this show, it I don't know. It just feels so authentic. I, it feels like. I, I'm so impressed by the fact that this show has lasted as long as it has. And, and if you haven't listened yet to Tom Coleco's interview with us, it was it was really fun to talk to him. But the idea is that the the judges are not gimmicky; they're right there with them in terms of the the um, the prowess, the the technique, the the skill of being a cook. Like Gail and Padma and and Tom cooking for them, and them sitting down just kind of a release of emotions and stress and I just love that. It really – I don't know why this particular season or this particular moment but um, again with all the tears and stuff that we we witnessed on the show, I love that moment when they sit down for their last meal. Well, it, you know, it, it, it projects a lot of warmth I think largely because it's an acknowledgement from the, the hosts and the judges that look, yeah, these chefs – are talented and it's fun to be on a show, but they're basically asked to be lab rats for a couple of months. Um, they're constantly under a microscope. They are being judged. Uh, and as I say, look, to the extent that food is a medium of self-expression, like they're being judged. I mean, like Brian Voltaggio had to get up there the previous couple of days prior to this dinner and be told by the most famous chefs in the, in the a country that's regarded as sort of a, you know, a, a, a food haven like the guy has no heart and soul. So I think it's it's sort of a acknowledgement that you are kind of put through the ringer. Um, it's stressful and you're just constantly on the go. I mean, you can see how exhausted, you know, Karen looked after her kind of big day and, and yeah. come back and everything else. And it's just an acknowledgement that, you know, also you've been feeding these motherfuckers for 14 weeks, right? Like, you know, at least, you know they return the favor and it's and it's really nice. Um, it's also kind of fun even from from a contextual standpoint for us. Like it's just it's kind of cool to watch Tom Colicchio cook. I've enjoyed those. Um, yeah. Those little shorts. Um, and, you know, just watching Padma in the kitchen is is, is also fun. So, hey, uh, also Kale's tart look really good. Yeah. Um, Cooper Moorhead, our friend Cooper, texted me. He said, "Please, can I just have Gail come over and make me that uh, that, that tart, tart dish?" He was he yeah. was he was all about that. Me, me too. Um, I, I, I think. Can we talk about the draft? Oh yeah, the pick your sous chef. That, that's kind of our first. Let's yeah. get into it. Let's get into the episode. We'll, we'll talk more about the big themes, but uh, pick your sous chef. Stephanie gets first choice, and with the first choice in the sous chef finale draft, Stephanie. Smar selects Brian Malarkey of San Diego, California. Um, I think it's a really good choice. I'm going to hear your thoughts, though. Oh, my. What a perfect sous chef. Throughout this episode, yeah. I just uh, – uh, I mean, talk about 180s on on a character. I Is he like the best sous chef of any of these contestants? Because he's he was loving. He was supportive. He was enthusiastic, just overly positive. And you could tell that Steph was just like in the zone. And you never felt like maybe Leanne was kind of overly suggestive and overly, you know, stepping on Melissa's toes. I didn't really feel that with Brian Malarkey, which 
you know, considering we, he has issues with editing, I thought maybe he'd be all over Stephanie with some of her choices. But he was so, so good, and it really validated her pick as, as the number one pick. No, and I, I think as a sous chef, a lot of his vulnerabilities are mitigated, right? Like he's not going to – like you're choosing what's going in the dish. Like he just has responsibilities to execute from a support standpoint. So you actually it's perfect, and he is kind of a positive guy. He's an, he is imbued with optimism. You could see throughout the cook – that Stephanie, you know, even when she learned that, that, you know, Tom was familiar with her dish, it kind of freaked her out for a second. I mean, malarkey is this reservoir of positivity um, as long as you don't like fuck with his setup in, at a summer camp. You know, like other than that, he's, you know, he, he's, uh, Voltaggio takes Kevin. No surprise uh, there. Yeah. Uh, these two guys are close. And uh, and Kevin, I, I think, is also just a good partner. Uh, I was actually – it was funny. Melissa and he worked so well together as a tandem earlier in the season. I, I can't remember right offhand which which challenge it was, but they won and, and just blew out of the park. But uh, yeah, I mean Voltaggio gets, gets Kevin and, and Melissa and Leanne, we had a real kick at watching Leanne at the market with oh. um that was the laugh track of our episode last night watching it was just need some candy. Like the other thing is like, is there anything about Melissa's cooking that would suggest she would ever use candied walnuts on anything? <laughs> Did she, I missed that. Did she really suggest candied right, no, walnuts? It was like, do you need some chives? Do you need some this? Do you need some that? Do you need that? You know, it was just, I mean, it was, it was adorable, but it was just like, do you need some candied walnuts? And it was just like, <laughs> wait, like, is there anybody less likely to cook with candied walnuts than Melissa King? Like, uh, like leave her alone. I know. It was, it, it was so, I have it in my notes. Leanne passive aggressively asking, do you want blank or anything? Oh, just like, I, no, like poor Melissa, just this is her last cook, her four course meal that she's been thinking about for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Leanne is just, I, I know she's trying to be helpful. Um, but first of all, let's, let's talk about this real quick. Leanne was there because, or Leanne was one of the candidates to be chosen because Gregory Gordet was, he was out with a back injury. Yes. Um, and I had presumed that he had flown home where they sent him home with like, Hey man, um, go home. Don't worry about it. Or at least just hang back. We're not going to include you anymore. Don't worry about your responsibilities on the show. Then he shows up later. So i um, curious to hear, uh, you know, if we ever hear what happened there, but Leanne, um, Leanne shows up and, you know, she, we know that Leanne has been a really big part of Top Chef from a production standpoint. She's been the head of culinary uh, for the show. And so I'd imagine she was there as kind of a staffer or a kind of production team and then stepped up. And I mean, Melissa, we talk about strength of schedule. Melissa gets, in my opinion, of the three, the least desirable of the three um, uh, sous chefs. And she still, she still plows the competition. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the episode because I, you know, four courses, really interesting mm -hmm. in the sense that it's a broad canvas. You can do what you like. I love how Padma presented it. No twists. You just do your thing. And in some ways, I find that to be the most representative meal. You really get a sense of who these people are. They don't have to negotiate with the terms. They don't have to conform to certain parameters. They can just do their thing. I, I do think each was cognizant of the setting, and I love that. That was the one thing I appreciated because I think there is a question, okay, do I just go and cook my food or do I need to be mindful yep. 
of whom I'm cooking for, where I am cooking, and also, I mean, to, to, to some extent, what produce is going to be available. It was lovely to see. I didn't even realize there were sort of persimmons that grow in Italy because I'm used to the, you know, to the fuyus and the um, pachias out here. Like that's what we get in Southern California. So it was like, what is this massive beach ball of a persimmon? It's like, what the hell is that? So, um, and, and, I think porcini, it was, and the porcini mushrooms that are basically oh, the cactus porcini mints. mushroom. Oh, the porcini mushrooms. Wow. And we'll talk about those. (laughs) First course, you know, uh, so this is essentially what we'll call an appetizer because all the chefs kind of chose as the preemie to do – not as the preemie, but first to do the pasta course as as the second course. So this is sort of your your preemie. This is the the appetizer. Melissa kind of getting off on her theme to do char siu grilled octopus. I mean uh, that char siu, that that is sort of like if you ever go to a traditional like – you know, like the the to go Chinese barbecue places where you walk in, you can order pork or uh, or duck by the pound, and they chop it up with that massive ass cleaver, and he pours a little bit of the the gravy on top, like that. That, I'm, if I'm correct, is sort of that sweet barbecue sauce, and so she does that. Um, and by the way, I think by all accounts, Tom finishes third after one quarter. Am I correct? I have it scored here, Stephanie, Brian, Melissa. Right, I have I have Voltaggio and and Stephanie neck and neck here. Yep. I, I think, but Melissa definitely I, third on this one. Right, I mean because she, uh, Tom's comment was it, it was very sweet. It needed some acid, and that's just sort of the nature of uh, of the sauce. Voltaggio, I, I just love what Voltaggio did. You know, because it's like beets are fun. They're so meaty. They're so substantial. We've seen so many fun things with beets. If you remember, remember Carrie's beet gummies that just vaulted her to the next round. Yep. Uh, back in I think the Colorado season, and you know he takes you know tonado is just like one of the classic kind of sauces. I mean, usually tuna based with um, just that kind of mayonnaiseiness, and yet he turns it into this beautiful thing um, with all those you know all those umami notes with the bonito and everything else. And then Stephanie has the sentimental favorite, which he also just nails from a technical standpoint. Tom, Kevin, I could eat a thousand of those uh, with the shrimp katafi things. Yeah. Oh my, that looks so good with the little crispy pasta wrapped around and encased in that with the shrimp underneath. And I was really worried about the idea of frying it. Um, and like Tom, I was like, oh, I don't know. That's going to be a, a tough cook for for Stephanie. But I thought that was so cool visually. Um, I didn't. I, I've never seen anything like that before. So when she pulled that out, I was just like, I want a thousand of those. Right, and it's interesting as you look at the three dishes; they're all put in front of them at the same time. You know, hers is the only one really with a crunch. Hers has by far the most textural complexity, and I think it just kind of wowed the chefs. Uh, and, and also, when you hear the story, it makes total sense. Because at first, I was like, "Is this a little basic?" I mean, I know you're dressing it up with a katafi, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of shrimp and a tangerine. You know, and it turns out, no. I mean, this is a this is sort of an interpretation of that delicious coconut fried shrimp we've all eaten at one time or another, which for her was a callback um, to her late brother and something she constantly cooked for him that he loved. And so, uh, not only was she able to elevate the dish from a storytelling standpoint, but she gives. She offers a texture that none of the other chefs are doing. And, you know, after one quarter, I looked over at, at my viewing partner, um, who you know, and I was just like, let me tell you something. It's like, I'm under the impression that Stephanie is, she has mastered pasta. She has won the most recent dessert challenge. As far as I'm concerned, like, this is anybody's game. I mean, the fact that Melissa enters the kitchen after round one, essentially unbeknownst to them, in third place is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't that, 
it wasn't that um, that Melissa really screwed up or had a bad dish. It was just, oh man, uh, she's gonna have to come back from from this with perfection, like you said. Like this is not gonna be easy for Melissa. So the second course, and it's even hard to to totally handicap this. All this was just this was a master class in pasta making. You know, Melissa comes with her squash anilotti with the Szechuan chili oil. I love nothing more than crispy, crispy chicken skin or crispy salmon skin. I love crispy skin as an additive to anything. And then she also has shiso in there. I, I think – I forget which Jed said it. What was great about it, it's one of those dishes and we've all had dishes like this, Tom, where it's like it, you know, there, there are a couple of different things going on. And whichever bite you get, if you get the bite that's – you know. It's a crispy chicken skin. You're happy. If you get a bite that has the shiso note, you're happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she nails that. Um, Stephanie has this Telegio Capoletti that um, – this Telegio cheese and a chicken brodo that I think one of the judges says is the most complex and elegant or, or, or you know kind of refined dish on the table. So just – and also kind of a surprise. You know, Her cooking is – Tom is very often homey. It's cozy. Uh, I wouldn't say rustic, but but this was uh, – I mean it was gorgeous. Yeah. I mean I, I don't know how you scored this. I think I got Brian, Steph, and Melissa on this one is how I graded it out. Yeah. I have I have Voltaggio winning and I want to talk about his thing in a second because to me it was the biggest badass dish of the night in many respects. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's talk about that for a second. So, so Voltaggio to bring listeners up to date just to remind, you know – Voltaggio is a modern technical cooking. They're, 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 you know, he's doing the cardamom soil for dessert. He's got foams and aerated cheeses. And, and he is somebody who likes to mess and fool around in a, to a beautiful effect with kind of the form of food itself. And didn't go so well in, in sort of Tuscany, you know, kind of a, it was an away game. I mean, he has been playing away games for the last three weeks, Tom. And they dinged him for mm-hmm. it. They referred to him as having no soul and no heart. And so he says, you know what he says? And I love Brian Voltaggio for this. Fuck you. You want a fucking lasagna? I'll give you a goddamn lasagna. But I'm going to do it my way. It is going to conform to your specifications. But damn if I'm not going to leave a little bit of a signature on this. And and he just does it, Tom. And by every account, he made one of the great lasagnas of all time. Yeah, it was such a good dish and just a real punch back. You know, he got knocked down to the floor. He gets back up and he just lands a haymaker on the judges with this one. Um, not overly saucy. It was it was very pasta forward, I would say. And the the technical side of this, he didn't betray that at all with this dish. No. Just because he wanted to go a little bit more traditional with the type of food, I think he he beat himself up over it, being like, "Did I just fucking serve lasagna to, on my right, like right, my right. last dish, uh, my last cook for the chefs?" And you know, sometimes on this show, we we beat up the the contestants for overthinking things or overcompensating or just overcorrecting for themselves for their prior mistake. I was a little nervous, to be honest, that he was going to overcorrect here and they'd look at this and say, really, lasagna? But sometimes you just nail that sweet spot and Brian did that absolutely here. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep 
free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not gonna find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and and again, as you said, it, it didn't. It wasn't a sloppy lasagna kind of. It was. It was truly the Voltaggio version as presented as Voltaggio by Voltaggio right. of a lasagna. That wild boar um, bolognese, which you know, wild boar kind of being a, an essential in, in Tuscany. It, it was just, I was just really excited for him because I love to see things come full circle. And he had a really, he was kicked around last week in the worst possible way. Again, it, it, to the extent that food is a medium of self-expression, he was basically told you express yourself in a shitty way. And like, I, I, I was indignant for him and I was thrilled to see, and I don't even say redeem himself. I don't think he had anything to redeem himself for, but sometimes in the life, your, your bosses want something that is not your preferred mode and you just have to do it. And he did it and he did it without betraying himself or his instincts. So yeah, I, I scored it as Voltaggio one, just because I think for, for the backstory and, and what he was able to do. And then like, um, I but mean, the three they dishes were just uh, neck and neck. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a, do you feel like in course two, there was a measurable or substantial no. gap between, right. So we're, we're essentially coming out of halftime here, Tom, with, I mean, it's anybody's game. I mean, you could argue like Melissa finished third in the first course. They're kind of tied. I don't think anybody has a claim until we get to the entrees. Man, the the squat. So it's amazing that, that Mel watched Tom cook this, grill the squab. And I got a little nervous when she was going out on the on the deck to grill her squab because you never really know what to do. You know, we saw Karen in the Olympics episode. She didn't really have a great grill to utilize. And I think there's a lot of variance there. There's a lot of variability with, with a grill for whatever reason in my head. Um, and so she does the squab. And 
Uh, I mean, even wowing people who don't even like Squab. Uh, I think it, Nilu was just like, I don't like Squab, and you just made me a convert. And I think that's one of those things where when you see Melissa um, just turn around and do a dish that she had – she's done this before and even – you know what? Now that I think about it, she did it again with her dessert. She is so calm when she needs to pivot. You never really feel that Melissa is working at a disadvantage, Kevin. You really don't. And and for this moment, she's she's like, you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna pan sear the squab, or I'm I'm gonna grill it, or whatever it is. She doesn't scramble. This is just she's so confident and so calm that even when she's pivoting away from a dish, you get the sense that the original dish that she was pivoting away from would still be awesome. And that's just how good she is. Well, so I would I would take issue with one thing, and I want to get back to the grill in a second. Uh, I actually feel like, at least from the editing, that Melissa wasn't as in control in the first half of this show as she normally is. Like, it's almost as if she took on some of Leanne's freneticness. Like, oh, okay. We're used to seeing her. Like, and you remember that pasta course at the end? The clock's ticking down, and she's just like tossing stuff on the you know it wasn't you know yeah like i felt like in the you know the, the dessert wasn't coming around it ate dry the next morning they had to kind of go back to square one on that like i felt like absolutely you're absolutely right i mean it, it when it when once she got in gear around course three but i felt like in the first half of the show she was a little less in control than normal uh which is saying a lot and yet she still kind of played to a tie um i went further than you I'm yelling at the TV. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Melissa, you're going to put the greatest season in Top Chef history by an individual chef on the line and just hope and fucking pray that a grill isn't going to be weird. Grills are fickle, particularly grills you do not know. Yeah. Like yeah. there's weather out there. You don't know what that grill is capable of doing. You don't know the love. And she even says, hey, it was a lower flame. We kind of got lucky. Well, good for you. I am shocked and I cannot wait to ask her. Uh, listeners, we are scheduled to visit with the finalists Monday. Uh, let, let's hope it goes off as scheduled. And <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait to ask Melissa King. I just want to like she is such a, she calls herself a control freak and, and control freaks of the world unite. I am one of you. Um, I am just floored, Tom. Yes. Floored that she did something as whimsical as, oh, it was kind of fun when Tom grilled it last <laughs> night. And like grilling also can dry shit out. Like it's not like to me, it was a risk I was shocked to see incurred. And the fact that she not only pulled it off and everything about that dish, Tom, she, she I, I am a huge persimmon fan. I cook with them. I can't wait for the first persimmons of fall. I put them in every salad. Um, I make a little compote out of it. Uh, it, it's I, it's my favorite thing. And then she does the porcinis, which, as she said, is sort of uh, the, the runner-up to truffles in, in, in sort of a, a Italian cooking. She she confis the caps. And, and, you know, one of the judges who I loved, I don't know who the name it was. He was just like, you know, kind of had a foie gras quality to it. Marcus Samuelson, yet, yeah. Boy, that guy's fucking cool. We got to get him on the show. Tom. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to that guy. That guy has some energy I want to I, I want to get with and then fermented black bean sauce so she kind of keeps it in that that chi the chinese influence on a dish that is otherwise universal it looked gorgeous it frankly looked a more I mean, another case where you know aesthetically tom Melissa's much closer to voltaggio than she would be to say stephanie uh or even gregory 
Um, her stuff is elegant and and sort of modern, but she did kind of the big plate special Italian family style. I mean, it kind of looked like that. I mean, obviously there, there were portions on each plate, but uh, the fact that she was able to kind of give it just enough, knowing the setting and knowing, hey, this doesn't look to need to be the most, you know, we're not eating an ink here. Like we're eating in, in, in an Italian countryside situation. Yeah, I and this one – I want to say that Melissa, um, it wasn't that she had a bad first half, but it was certainly she was coming from behind. And with this dish, I mean, I don't eat squab very often. Uh, and like she said, it's kind of like a cousin of quail. And I, I've eaten quail a bunch, but I've, I've never really had squab enough to know, hey, when she was doing squab, I was like, ooh, I can't wait to eat that. But this particular dish – I was just – I mean the porcini mushroom that t- that that had a consistency or at least it tasted kind of like foie gras. I mean this might have been my favorite dish of the night. Yeah, and it's let's, – let's, let's call it what it is, Tom. This is the dish that won her the season. Yeah. It's, this, is, this, was the, this was the homer in the bottom of the eighth I mean, or bottom of the set, whatever it was. Like this is – this was the master stroke that won her the season. As you said – uh, it was essentially a push coming in. She might have even been slightly behind, um, given, given sort of the, the Voltaggio moment of grace and the Stephanie moment of grace in the first course. Uh, and this is the dish that won it, largely, by the way, because uh, unfortunately the, the other chefs, you know, just were a little off on this one. Uh, less Voltaggio than than Stephanie. I want to talk about Stephanie for a second. I was a little concerned when she said milk braised veal bread. I mean, veal is lean. It is a lean mm-hmm. cut. That means it doesn't produce the kind of fat you would want uh, that, that ultimately what, – what is braising if, if not – yeah, you have a braising liquid, but it's sort of – it's a meat that – think about those short – those fatty short ribs, like braised short ribs. Like yep. it, it's a – you got you to gotta soak in your own fat, right? Yep. Like it, it, it bathes in its own juices. There ain't a lot of juice with a veal bread. It's a lean, lean cut, and when I heard that, I was just really nervous. Um, and then you know, malarkey, if we have to flaw, fault malarkey – for one thing, and I don't even think he can do this because he's a generally classy guy. You know, someone needed to take Stephanie aside and said, "I don't know about this." Like, I can't. No way. I let. I, I she, let Stephanie. I you let got, Stephanie I know, do. I know. Thing. I know. And, and again, I, I'm not saying he he wouldn't do it, but like, I wonder if he could go back in time. And I'm not putting this on Malarkey, by the way. I, I just, but I, I'm saying if there was a little birdie who could have whispered in Stephanie's ear, "This is too lean of a cut to get this accomplished." <laughs> So what would you what would you else. have done if you were malarkey? Is it is it suggesting a different uh, cooking style? Like instead, I, of- I would just I, I think it's by the way if you if you I think if we would if we were to Google milk braise and I will I will Google milk braise I would guess you would have far more results for pork than veal. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So okay, I, literally I just did just milk braise. Top three recipes: Bon Appetit's uh, milk braised pork. Number two is food and wines, pork braised in milk. Number three is Epicurious, milk braised pork with lemon and sage. There we go. I am going down the page. I do not see veal. There is a reason you do not see veal. Veal is too lean for this preparation. Um, I hate to pile on. I love Stephanie. By the way, this has become a Stephanie house. And I mean, there might as well. This is like, like if Stephanie were the Packers, we are in central Wisconsin right now. Like this house has been a Stephanie house for the last four weeks. I have a partner who was crying 
on the couch, oh. Tom Haberstroh, oh. when, when Stephanie was doing her thing. We love Stephanie in this house. She's, she's already won my stuck in an elevator contest. I hope she gets fan favorite and she's freaking hilarious and, and humble and all the qualities I want in a person. However, you can't do veal in a milk brace. Just don't. This was, that needed to be a pork loin. It needed to be a pork shoulder. I think she could have potentially won the season, Tom, if you swap out the veal for a, for a pork loin mm. or a shoulder. And, just going to say. And Malarkey it. knew it. Malarkey knew it. For, to his credit, he knew and he was like, we just got to cover this thing with sauce, baby. Like we got it. Like it's too dry. We're just going to smother it with sauce. But at that point, I think Steph knew that. I have it, I have it written here was that – bye, Steph. Like I just – that was yeah. it. That was that the was critical it. mistake where you can't come back from that, especially with everyone else performing at such a high level. Yeah. That was that was Steph Curry tossing the ball behind his back out of bounds to Clay Thompson. And, and poor Voltaggio. Um, he makes a Kachuko, um, which I don't know the difference. I'm going to have to ask the uh, difference between Chiapini and uh, Kachuko. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Tuscan fish question. stew. Had the same yeah, question. Yeah, it looked kind of the same. Maybe it's just uh, one variation. <laughs> Monkfish, octopus, squidding, focaccia, which looks which look great. One little technical error, I think one, of, and I didn't quite understand the butter and and uh, the comment uh, with regard to the focaccia. And then Tom attests that his uh, his monkfish wasn't perfectly cooked. So, and again, I, I think it's he's up in a situation where every once in a while you come up against a chef who just and Melissa had one of the dishes of the year and the dish of the season. So Voltaggio, I had scored as a second. To me, this was the easiest course to score yep I'm, I'm sure for you as well melissa brian and steph so that's the first one that we have with melissa winning in the, in this competition and i think when you saw brian voltaggio mentioned that he was going to do that dish for for tom and he said i do that every christmas eve with that look of like you better fucking nail this um man that was going to be a tough thing um so i i had the same question about what the difference between the Chipino and 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 his dish but um Going into the the dessert, Kevin, I have – this is just me. I have Brian Voltaggio with one win, two middles, and Stephanie with a win, a middle, and a, a third. I have Melissa with a win and then two bottoms. So really, Kevin, the only margin per- though, margin, right? Margin. It's, it's not, it's not fair to say, you know, raw yeah. numbers here because just the order of it, it doesn't, it no. doesn't express it. But bottom line is this is close as hell going into the fourth. I mean, I'll just be honest. I, I feel like a, because the first two courses, however you order them, there just wasn't much daylight between two. I really do think that a non-trade, I think that third course should be weighted greater. It, it is, it is. It, listen, no, no disrespect to the pasta or the appetizer, but this is the main deal. I mean, when you go for a four-course meal, it's the entree that you really – you need to sing. And given the disparity between her and the other two, you know, particularly Stephanie, to me, my thinking going into the fourth was as long as she doesn't fuck this one up. And, you know, which was a little bit of a concern, right? Because in day one prep, this was not eating well. It was eating dry. The cookies weren't soaked. Um and but I felt like if Melissa can just as long as she doesn't flub the dessert, even if she's out manned on this particular course, that she's got this. Yeah. And again, like she was so serene when 
Liam's like, oh, I don't know. This this is eating kind of dry. It's not really got the right consistency. And she's like, yeah, tomorrow if we don't hit it and we need four hours before the cook before we serve, we'll just do it all. We'll do a redo. And I was just like, I would be freaking out. Like, what if what if what if I'm spending all this time working on the redo and my other dishes fall apart? You know. And she was able to put together that tiramisu um, that with the milk tea that was a blend between. Uh, Chinese and Italian where to the point where Dario Kikini was just crying, sobbing at the table, Kevin. She made a butcher that I think is kind of like a gargoyle almost just turn (laughs) into a puddle. It like this, this was, I know you said the third dish won the, like her, her main course won the, won the competition for but if that was the go-ahead home run, this was the fucking grand slam. Well, this was the exclamation mark. This oh is the one that put it out of reach. God. Right? And um, what I really loved about the dessert was it perfectly captured the identities of these three chefs in one final stroke, right? As you said, Melissa, it's the pure apotheosis of her Chinese-Italian idea. Right, Hong Kong milk tea tiramisu. I mean, perfect for Stephanie. She goes to an old classic, comfortable stand. Yeah, right. Oh, and I, and I, yeah. I, sticky toffee pudding with yogurt ice cream. I mean, God, I'm going to eat the shit out of that. <laughs> right now, by the way, I thought it was interesting that one of the chefs kind of said, "Who doesn't love this?" I think it was a little bit of a backhanded compliment, which is, you know. Who doesn't love a little donuts, cheap. Kevin? You know? Yeah, it's a little cheap, right? Like it's a little like, of course, you know, we want to see some elevated cooking. And Voltaggio does a Voltaggio, you know, um, a malted chocolate mousse with that little kind of hard coating, a hazelnut ice cream, and a carfi cardamom soil. So yeah. you get that, that. That I love that. That's that's to me that but is Ke- a Voltagian stroke. Kevin, if I presented those three dishes without telling you who made the dishes, oh my it wouldn't God. even I be didn't even know. You exactly. wouldn't even it would take half a second for you to say Melissa, Brian, and Stephanie, right? Without question. And and that was sort of the beauty of the of the final course. Um I don't know how you even scored them. I sort of have Melissa one because again the crying sort of gives you it. Uh, I have Voltaggio two just because I think it did, it did speak to the judges. It it spoke to the ambition. Yeah. And Stephanie, a very close third, nothing to be ashamed of. But again, she kind of she she fell back on an, an old comfort favorite, which by the way looked fantastic. And I got to tell you, I might enjoy eating that one more than any of the other two. Let me ask Although, you this actually, though: Milk tote tiramisu is my jam. What if would you have liked the dark chocolate to spill out and pour out of the dish, or you, you'd rather be a little bit more like? thick con- consistency because I actually kind of like when you crack open the the chocolate ball egg so to speak and it just falls out it just bleeds out so I, it, I, I I'm actually I like I, I know it's gonna sound controversial I know for effect I certainly like that but then I have to eat it and when am I licking it off with my tongue like I want to get my spoon with something kind of yummy and gooey and and put it on my tongue like I don't like I appreciate the effect in the theater of crack this and yep. but like the truth is I don't want to eat that now I'm like sitting there tilting the plate into my spoon. It's like, no, uh, give me, give me, give me mousse that I can get on my, my, my spoon. And also I love malted. I love malted milk kind of mixed in stuff. I love that flavor. I've always loved Whoppers. I love a malt. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So I, I was very into his dessert. Although I think Hong Kong tea, tiramisu, I love those sweet milk teas. 
that you get in like Hong Kong and, and Canton in that area. I, I just, I love that stuff. All right. So Kevin, judges table, let's talk about it. Um, I was, I felt like Melissa was going to win this thing. Um, I, when Stephanie says the best line of the night was from Stephanie, when she says, I think I'm going to go for fan favorite. Yeah. It was just, I, her, she's a comedian. Like her, like when she delivers the cadence, all of that is just so perfect. And I think it was clear at that point. I think Brian probably knew it. And hopefully we'll get to talk to Brian about this. I mean, Melissa with the knockout punch of the tiramisu. um, And we got at the judges table, the, the emotional moment that Gail and Stephanie had. And I, I just, I don't know. This was, this was one of those seasons and I'm so glad Kevin, that they were able to do all three of the contestants be able to give the four courses because of what happened last year with Eric Adjapong, we didn't get to see him with the full course. And I think, um, I believe it was Melissa in her original season didn't get to do that either. And so we got to see all three dishes and I think it was important to get all of them because I didn't want to be shortchanged and they go up there and Melissa, Melissa won. And I knew that I was rooting for Stephanie from a personal standpoint and her, um, what she said at the judges table about how she wanted she wanted to tell people in her life who had felt that she was too sad or too down that she was able to go on the show and prove that she was okay and that she's okay and i just was like oh my god there's so much there there's so much there the weight of the world on stephanie just getting to the top 10, she said, was a huge accomplishment for her. And then getting there, and I think she put up a hell of a fight to get um, – to, to go against Brian fucking Voltaggio and Melissa King who just had probably the greatest season of Top Chef history. And, and Stephanie was right there. Yeah. I mean she is, again, a great, great story. Um, just obviously the personal arc. The fact that I don't think any of us had her in the finale is recently as six weeks ago and maybe even four. It's, it's a fantastic story. She grew as a chef. Uh, she, she accomplished something personally she wanted to accomplish. You know, I, I feel, you know, Voltaggio is sort of because I, I don't know if it's the name because he's, he's sort of a fixture. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I love, I, I loved his character on the show. If that makes sense. Um, Sorry, <laughs> I mean, not, not just the, not just the weird, awkward dad laugh, but but just look. I love his cooking. Um, you know, he had, he was sort of a you know coming in so close twice in a row, uh, not twice in a row, two previous times. But but uh, you know, he had a nice arc too. He was sort of laying in the weeds. We talked about it for weeks, um, and, and it just really cooked his ass off. And I, and I, I really love it. But I mean, to me, Melissa. Uh, no regrets. I mean, my house was a Stephanie house, I think, because, you know, the underdog was was claimed. But I I mean, I just want to eat in Melissa's restaurant. I, I don't know if she'll do this Chinese Italian fusion thing. She certainly could. Uh, I imagine she has other stuff she probably wants to do. It would be a great calling card, given that she kind of wrote it to it to a victory on on the on the iconic top chef. But I would. I cannot wait to eat in a Melissa King restaurant, Tom. I hope you and I will have the opportunity there, whether it's in an NBA final mm-hmm. or, or just on another thing. I, I'm 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 thrilled with the outcome of the season because I just frankly I love her food, I love her style, I love her brain, I love her poise. A, a fitting winner 
for a great season. Kevin, um, I got to watch last night. I just decided to stay tuned for the Andy Cohen watch what happens like interview with Colicchio and Padma. And that was after this was kind of an overtime. Did you happen to catch that? I did not catch it. All right. So they did kind of just like a postscript interview with Tom and, and Padma. And they also announced who the fan favorite was last night. Oh, who won it? Melissa King. And oh, Melissa the double, is the, the double dip. One of three chefs. I I looked this up, Kevin. Melissa King not only won, won seven fucking elimination challenges and a handful of quick fires this season, she also won the fan favorite. And I think if they were taking the votes at just waiting until after this this episode, maybe Stephanie wins it. Um but I think Melissa wins fan favorite, the third chef in Top Chef history. The first one was in season four with Stephanie Izard. Then season 16 last year, Kelsey won the fan favorite as well. So we had two double dips in the last two years. Melissa, I think people just fell in love with Melissa, just not just the cooking, but also how positive she was and how, I don't know, there was not an, it didn't feel like a, an, a shred of animosity or bad blood at all on Melissa's part. And I think the story arc of her father, her mother who happened to be there and it was weird that she was FaceTiming, like she was at home, but then she showed up for the, for the last ceremony. Um, Melissa won the fan favorite and Tom Colicchio said that that was probably the best meal he's ever had on Top Chef. That last, that last uh, final d- dinner with the four course meals from the three chefs Season 17 was the best meal he's ever had on Top Chef. Um, and you know what? I know there's a lot of recency bias here, uh, but I think I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say. Um, but it was it was it was a fun show. I mean, there was actual tension. I mean, I, I'm thinking halfway through, we have no idea. This could go to anywhere. I even talked myself into the Zabruder reinterpretation that, you know what, Brian. Voltaggio, always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Maybe Ooh. that's sort of you are top chef, like like a kind of finally you did it or whatever. I I, I even talked myself because I was like he's gonna be tough down the stretch. Like I I knew that that stew was gonna be good, and I knew his dessert would be good. Like it was it was nip and tuck. Tom, I I think we I hope that we will speak in two days or three days, uh, in which point we will have all three finalists on Pack Your Knives, which is which is very exciting. Before um, we go, Kevin. Yes. Why don't you just do a quick? We do this every year. Oh, do we have to? But it, not necessarily about what what you did with your team versus my team. I mean, it was it was it was a rock. It was two hundred thirty three to oh, one hundred thirty one. Okay. Well, let's put that aside. We did a hell of a job drafting. I do this every year where I run the correlation of the points that these these contestants accrue in our fantasy standings, and then mark it against what the draft order was. And I think we there only there's only one point when I think we really screwed up, which is Melissa went eighth, Kevin. Melissa went eighth. We got mm-hmm. we got through seven different chefs before we picked Melissa. Um, but here's how our draft went. And it's fun to kind of do a retrospective with the draft now that we've seen how things have played out. One, Gregory, two, Kevin, three, Nina, Nini, four, Eric, Brian, Karen, Sasto. Melissa, Jen, Stephanie, Angelo, Leanne, Jamie, Malarkey, and Lisa. If you run the correlation coefficient, it comes out to 
0.4 strength. One is perfectly, perfectly one-to-one ratio. 0.4 is actually a moderate indication of of correlation and then zero would have been random but we are point four that's pretty damn good kevin um especially with how much talent is in this season i do think it's helped this year that we had kind of a uh track record that we could look on these on these chefs but i think we did a pretty good a damn good job drafting this year um and you know even though it was a lopsided affair I do want to say, Kevin, you need to accept every trade that I offer because I think I, I had some – I bungled Remind some me. Trade. What was the one I, I, I screwed? I think I might have offered Melissa for um, for like – No. Did you offer Melissa? I think I, I think I offered Melissa no. at one point. Yeah. I think it was like Jen Carroll. There was, there was a few offers, for Kevin. For somebody – I don't think you offered Melissa, did you? Oh, listeners out there, please fact check me. Okay, I, I don't, I don't know. want to do I revisionist I, history. I, I forget what the trade calls were, but um, I know there was a Jen Carroll and Malarkey. Um, uh, but I think the the final question I want to ask you, Kevin, before we go and get look forward to Monday's show: What if Gregory didn't get hurt? It's a good question. It's a really good question. What if um, Gregory didn't get hurt? Man, that is a that is. That is something that's going to hang over this this season for a while. I we'll never know, and I would love to hear what they think about that. Is like whether him going down with a back injury was was kind of like you, you kind of turn the corner on the last leg of the Kentucky Derby and you see a, a a horse just kind of fall back in the pack, and you're like, you know what? I see daylight. This could be mine. I think that might have been the moment for all of them when they realized, oh man, I think I can win this thing. And he was hurting, and he couldn't even make the sous chef episode yeah that's rough um so best of gregory as well i'm disappointed we won't be able to talk to him on the finale episode uh but this will be fun um stay tuned pack your knives listeners we will have a finale special edition episode uh, that will be dropped sometime early mid next week any closing thoughts tom um this is a great season it was a great season. I, I don't know if it was my favorite season of all time, um, but I think I, I thought it was a really strong season. And it, and seeing Stephanie there at the end was, I think, uh, one of the coolest things that Top Chef has, has done is just the story arc there. So I was really, really pleased with how the season turned out. For Tom Habistro, this is Kevin Arnabitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.